What's up and welcome to another episode of the Grind Line Podcast. You're listening to episode 215. I am your host, Greg. I am here tonight with Ryan and Tyler, but we are also here with the always lovely Daniela Bruce from the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, Daniela, first I want to say congratulations on your engagement because we have not been able to congratulate you on video yet. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm so bummed. So like a week after we got engaged, I had to resize the ring and I still don't have it. So it's been like three weeks now. And it's, uh, I was going to ask you about that. It is the worst thing because everyone wants to see the ring, right? The first time they see you and I'm like, I don't have it. But hopefully I will have it on Thursday when I get back from Lakeland. So do you I'll, ever have like random, oh my God moments, like it's not there. And then you're like, oh yeah, I sent it no, off to get resized. But that's the reason I think I, I wanted to do it so quick because I'm so not used to having it yet that it doesn't even, it I it hasn't even really registered. Like most of the times I forget that I even have it to begin with. Sure, that makes, makes your fiance feel good. Yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. Hopefully he doesn't listen. But second, you are in Lakeland, Florida for Tiger Spring training. So how is that not being here in the absolutely god awful weather? Uh, when I got off the plane, it was like so refreshing this morning. It's about it was 87 today. It was a little toasty, actually. I was like, wow, this is really hot. But it's going to be like 82, 83 the next two days that I'm here. So it's going to be great. I'm so is this a, a one standard for packing your packing list this time? Not like going to Traverse City where you have it basically every season. Do you just have yeah, all spring? It, years? This was much easier. I actually packed in a carry on. I'm here for two nights and I was really proud of myself because I don't think I've ever fit all of my stuff in a carry on for a trip. So, yes, that was a. Uh, Mission accomplished on that one. Isn't it shocking that reporters like back in the day used to have to go to spring training like from the start to the end? Yeah, it's long. I don't know how they they did that because but it's it's cool down here. I can imagine that, especially if you're from Detroit, like we are Boston, you know, you get to go down to a warm state for a while and hang out for a couple of months instead of spending the whole winter in in Detroit because you guys told me it's what 50 and sleeting and raining and whatnot today up there. Uh, it's 35 right now. I think it was around 40 most of the day okay. at least by me. 35 here too. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say 50 would be pushing it. It was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> so tonight we have quite a few things to talk about. Dylan Larkin signed a contract. It's There's been news. I mean, we record on Mondays and then everything happens and we got to kind of wait. That's why I've been doing the short five minute videos in between. But Larkin signed his contract. We had the trade deadline. Steve Eiserman had a press conference, which I literally hit. Twitter's new uh, Twitter blue 1400 character limit or 4000 character limit or something that covering the novel. entire press conference in a single tweet, uh, which was impressive. And we have a lot of mailbag questions. So I think what we're going to jump right into off the top is Dylan Larkin's contract. So it, none of us doubted it was going to happen. There was there was no doubt that Dylan Larkin wasn't going to be re-signed. We knew it was going to be eight years. The reports were always there quibbling on dollar figure. And it comes in at 8.7 million AAV, which I think on a on a deal for Larkin is a deal. That's a deal. He came in under nine. I said nine is where about his value probably is coming in at 8.7. And it gets done right before the trade deadline. And I went in thinking, man, Iserman's got a plan to move some guys because he's got to lock up Dylan right now before he makes Dylan really sad. So uh, well, I guess just what are your thoughts on the contract? We'll start with Daniela. What are the thoughts on the contract? How nice is it to just have that stability in the locker room now? Yeah, and I think you nailed it by saying we all knew this deal was going to get done, right? It was just a matter of the dollar amount that they were going back and forth about. We knew that it was going to happen. 
And I love that Steve Eiserman confirmed in his press conference how much he wanted Dylan Larkin to be in Detroit, because I know there were some fans that were like, oh, are they going to get rid of Larkin? They don't want to sign him for this much. But Eiserman said he loves Dylan Larkin. He wanted him there in Detroit and he wanted him there for a long time. They were just trying to get to that correct dollar amount, which they got to. And if you look at how it breaks down from year to year, the contract, I think, is very friendly for the Red Wings. I think the first year he takes a $10 million salary, so that cap hit will be there. But I think it's very it's good. It's a really good deal for the Red Wings. And he already came out and said he hopes that someday he has to take a pay cut to bring some talent into Detroit. So he knows where this team's headed. He sees the vision and he's a key piece of the rebuild. I know that's another thing. I saw some questions that fans submitted actually that we're questioning who this team is being built around. Dylan Larkin is a key piece of this team, not only on the ice, he's leading in every category in points, assists and goals this year. But he's the captain of the team, and that goes a long way in the locker room. So he is definitely still a key piece, and now he's locked in for eight years, and we're happy to have him. Yeah, the, the cap the cap at eight seven. I don't want to say I was surprised by it, but I kind of was, and it was it just to me it was refreshing. It's interesting you mentioned the base salary of ten million, ten million, eleven million, ten million. Is that right? Those first three years, is that leading us right into that next CBA negotiation? You know, I I read it and I didn't write it down, but I know, I think you're correct on that, that it's the first three years where it's that larger amount and then it kind of trails off at the end of it. But yes, that would make total sense, wouldn't it? Kind of, yeah, that, that, that <laughs> scares me because I've noticed some of the contracts of late that have been signed, especially, you know, Pasternak, uh, Horvat in particular, they're heavy in the front. And I'm hoping that, that doesn't lead to bad things, but we'll see. But I, I love the 8.7 cap it because, Greg, I think if we go back to before the season or when we were originally talking about this contract, I think we all had what our actual guess was 9.1 to like 9.4. And that was what we felt was on the high end. I think our best case scenario is 8.5 to 8.75. So I feel good about how we guessed with that. And also, didn't Evolving Wild actually have that pretty much spot on for what they assumed it would be? Yeah, Evolving Hockey's projection is generally very, very good. And uh, yeah, they were pretty close. But Larkin does, like you said, leads in all categories. 23 goals, 36 assists this season with 59 points. He's at 62 games played, so he's still kind of hitting uh, towards that point per game. If he has a couple more multi-point games, he should get there. His Corsi is down a percent on the season, but his Fenwick is up a percent. So his possession numbers are solid. And like you said, and people will keep wanting to argue the whole Dylan Larkin is a 2C on a contending team. But if you look at a lot of the contending teams and a lot of their top centers, they also have elite high scoring wingers. And that's what Detroit needs to do is get an elite high scoring winger. And I think if they do, Dylan Larkin's easily a 90 to 100 point player. And is it is it that big of a deal if Dylan Larkin is ultimately a second line center? If we find a center better than Dylan Larkin, that's on no, the that top you're doing line. really well. Right. Yeah. So I I don't think I mean, you can say that all you want right now on this team. He's our top line center. And there's no question about that. And if that, on that's the other not a bad team, thing. Right. That's it. I don't think so at all. And I don't think it's a bad thing if he becomes a second line center one day. It doesn't hurt his his capabilities. It doesn't change his skill set and it doesn't change that he's the captain of the team. So I don't think that's a bad thing at all. In terms of him being the one C or him being the two C, like if you if you kind of look at the the rebuild of the Tampa Bay Lightning and who they built their their rebuild around, it was on Stamkos and Hedman and those guys. But it wasn't until guys like Braden Point and Anthony Sorelli and Nikita Kucherov and those guys came in that the Lightning started to win their Stanley Cup. So you know it's they won two in a row and got to three three in a row and lost last year against Colorado. 
So it doesn't mean, and Stamkos didn't even play in the first one in the bubble there. So, or he played one shift and scored a goal and that was it. So like, and he's obviously at that point in time when the rebuild started, he was their best forward, number one center. But as time went on, Braden Point was the number one center there in Tampa. So it doesn't matter whether he's the one C or the two C. Uh, like people with this art, these arguments like this are ridiculous. And honestly, at the end of the day, like if Dylan Larkin is your number one center, you're still going to be a really good hockey team. Or if he's your number two center, you're still going to be a really good hockey team too. So I, I just don't understand the argument there. And I, I mean, fun fact right now, he's also 18th in scoring for centers. Right. Hey, he's a point per game guy the last two years. Just under point per game. But I mean, you t- you eliminate a couple of those guys out of there and it's actually three of them are from uh, Edmonton. So technically he'd be top 15 if it was for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, but that's besides the point. So I mean, he's still guys out. don't count. They're in a different <laughs> stratosphere. It, it just drives me nuts that people are like, he needs to be putting up 90 to 100 points to be getting paid $8 million a year. I'm like, no, he doesn't. Like how many guys... Uh, if you're looking at this top list of of uh, centers in hockey, I'm looking at NHL.com stats. You could argue that half of this group inside the top 20 of scoring doesn't play defense. No, that's the thing is Dylan Larkin is a 200 foot center. He plays a full game and he it's the defensive aspect that I think. And even though I mean, he's got great offensive talent. No one is diminishing his offensive talent because it's there. And if you got him into Kita Kucherov, there'd be even more offense. But his defensive game is where he is better than the uh, the field of centers. Basically, Dylan Larkin is up there. I'm happy that McDavid, for instance, has actually been out there on like the penalty kill and much more defensive focus this year, because I feel like that's elevated him even more. And having him on the penalty kill, if I'm on playing that power play against him, I'm terrified because he has made people look silly, even more silly on the PK than he has on even at five, five, five on five. But also looking back, like what you guys are saying about playing defense, like Pavel Datsuk could have been a 40, 45 goal scorer every single year if it wasn't for him being one of the best defensive forwards in the National Hockey League. So I, I don't, the, the argument of of him being a number one C or him being in that upper echelon of centers, I mean, is he a Sidney Crosby? Is he a Connor McDavid? No, but is he on the same kind of level of like a Patrice Bergeron now or Jonathan Taves now. Yeah, absolutely. So that's, that's where I, I have him pegged and you know what? He's still young. He can still get better. That's the thing about Dylan Larkin that I was just going to say his improvement. I mean, you talk about his defensive game. It's crazy how much better it is now than if you were talking about Dylan Larkin, even two, three years ago and the efforts there, the want to be better is there. The buying into the system is there. So there's so many different factors that go into it. And, and there are fans that just want to look at the score sheet, right? They want to see how many goals he's putting up, how many assists does he have that kind of thing. But Dylan Larkin's game is so well-rounded right now, and it keeps getting better every single year. I remember when Iserman uh, came back to the team and one of the first things he told Larkin was to work on defense. You work Mm -hmm. on defense, everything else will come. And that's basically what Scotty told to Stevie is that work on your defense, everything else will come uh, eventually. But how much how much value do you think Steve Iserman puts on leadership? Because that's one of Dylan Larkin's big things. He's the captain. He was named the captain. He's uh, the leader in the room. All like the players themselves say we go to Larkin for stuff. He's the leader. How much do you think that factors into something like a contract? 
I think it's huge, especially with coming from Steve Eiserman, right? Who's one of the greatest Red Wings captains to ever do it. One of the greatest captains in general, I think you could say to ever do it. The captain. Yeah, the captain. And um, I, I don't think, obviously, I can't speak for Steve Eiserman, but I don't think he would give the C to somebody that he didn't think belonged in that position. He gave it, he waited a year before naming Dylan Larkin captain. And I think he wanted to get to know Dylan. He wanted to understand how he leads this team. He wanted to understand how people, or I shouldn't say people, other players look at him in the locker room. He wanted to get a feel for all of that before giving him the C. And I think by ultimately giving him that C, he's putting all the faith in the world in him and he believes in that side of him. And I think it's super important. You need somebody in the locker room that's going to lead the way for everybody that's going to right now is super important. It, can he pull this team out of this right now? Because they're, they're in a funk after the trade deadline. So they're going to turn to Dylan Larkin. And I'm sure this is a super important stretch for him. The lineage of the captains that is pretty much unlike any other franchise. I think, I mean, you go from Eisenman to who, you know, a lot of people thought was one of the greatest captains ever. Then you go Nicholas Lidstrom, who's the best defenseman ever, depending on who you talk to. And then Henrik Sederberg, who Dylan Larkin basically said was a huge part of his life still to this day. So, I mean, for for Steve Eisenman to just give the C to somebody. And if there's one thing that I've noticed about Steve Eisenman, he doesn't just make knee-jerk reactions. He He takes a look at things. He makes sure that they're the right things to do. And then he's very calculated in what he does, which I guess shouldn't surprise anybody. But he also surprises people in the moves he makes as well. Yeah, and those moves uh, lead Tyler right into trade deadline, which how about that segue segue right there? You guys Uh, are getting good at this. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Steve Eiserman was busy and those were calculated moves. And he said so in the press conference afterwards. I think the biggest thing he said was that there was no world in which he was a buyer this season. Uh, You could have kept going on and won those two games against Ottawa and still been in a playoff spot, and he wasn't going to buy anyone. But he started off the trade deadline with trading Philip Hronick to the Vancouver Canucks for a 2023 first uh, conditional first-round pick and a second-round pick. Uh, The first-round pick is the pick from the Islanders that they got for Bo Horvat. It is top 12 protected. If the Islanders land in the top 12, then the Red Wings get that pick in the 2024 draft unprotected. I don't think that's going to be an issue. The Islanders should hopefully make the playoffs this season. Um, But that's adding to the arsenal, and that is one where Iserman said that he did not go into the trade deadline looking to trade Hronik. He got an offer that was just too good that he couldn't pass up. And Hronik on a bounce back year from what was a rather mediocre season last season, he fetches a first. And uh, Vancouver land is not super happy because they, they traded their first round pick away. It's nothing against Hronik. It's that they're trading picks that they just got. Um, but were you, was that one that surprised you, took you off guard a little bit? I think so. I think it was probably the most surprising of the deals that were done of the four trades that were made. But when you see the return on that, a first and second round, if you're going to get that offer for Phil Heronic, you're going to take it. A first and second round pick in the, the 2023 draft, if, if it ends up being 2023, which like you said, I think I think it should be. That's huge. Whether you decide to use that as an actual pick or you decide to use that to trade for a player, or whatever it might be. It was almost a no brainer. Like when you get an offer like that for Philip Peronic, you're going to take it. And it's a little bit of a bummer because 
we kind of saw him take some steps in his game this year, at least offensively. He was having a career year. It, it felt like he was starting to find his game a little bit more. And he's only 26, 25 or 26 years old. So it, there is some bittersweetness to that one. But the return for him was excellent. And I, like I said, an absolute no brainer for Steve Eiserman to take that deal. Where that second round pick sits to right now, uh, right now, if the draft were to happen today and the results stayed the same with the lottery, Vancouver would pick sixth. So that second round pick from them is like a really, really late first round pick, basically, and mm-hmm. how deep this draft is. So, I mean, that's a that's another way to look at it, too. Yeah, I don't think anyone that I would know of had Phil Hronick being traded on their bingo card. I mean, it was a if it happens, that'd be the most fantastic thing ever. But it's I don't I sure as hell didn't expect that one to come. I through. should say, too, I was kind of surprised it was Vancouver. Like you said, giving away their first round pick if he was traded. I just didn't expect it to be Vancouver. Well, Vancouver was more like a what are you what are you doing? Are you rebuilding? Because they're like, oh, everyone's available except for Elias Patterson. And then they trade Bo Horvat, who at the point at that point was like their number one center or number two center. And. Then they go and take the picks that they got. You're like, OK, we get it. They're trading Horvat. They're going to start rebuilding now. And then they trade that pick to pick up a defenseman. Yeah. And it to, it just again, that's why a lot of the Canucks fans are really confused because they're like, can you make up your mind? What do you what are you even doing right now? And two picks this year back to back. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. That was the other thing. Why? Like you mentioned, it's a high second round pick. So, yeah, it, it, interesting move. I, it was an interesting move on their part, and that's why it even made it more of a no-brainer for Steve Eiserman to pull the trigger on that one. I mean, it's nice in the sense that if you're looking forward, and I think that was what Eiserman really hit at, is that everything is forward thinking with the moves that ended up being made. But now you look at next season, that's $4.5 million off the salary cap that he can now use where he needs to. And that's huge. Because if you want to make that trade of one of these first round picks for, say, a player, if it's maybe it's a Tom Wilson, you're tendering somebody, you're going for that RFA game. And now you have an extra first round pick. Be like, oh, sorry, it's gone. Whoopsies. Now you can give me that guy. I don't know. There's a lot of different ways. And I'm not trying to repeat word for word what he said, but that's exactly kind of the point that Eisman was trying to make is now we have these future assets, which he's been hitting on over and over the last couple of years. And this offseason, I would say, is probably his biggest one to date because the expectation with how things were going up until the All-Star break, they got brought way higher and people were really excited. I think that's why they're so angry right now, if you will, because we saw that immediate fall from grace. It just hurts, not angry. Yes. They're just hurt. Uh, there's, there's some pretty angry people <laughs> out there. Yeah, there's some anger. You have to look at it this way, too. He, Steve Eisenman proved to us last year that he's not scared to bring in the free agents, right? Like, we're at that point now where, like, there's going to be some splash during free agency again. And those draft assets are, like we said before, are they picks? If they're picks, cool. If they're not, they're going to be turned into a player. Like, he traded a third-round pick for Billy Uso. Look how great that has worked out. So there's so many things that can be done with it. And yeah, it's a big off season and I think it's going to be a busy off season too. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's going to be a lot of teams strapped up against the cap and, and there's going to be like Steve Eisenman said, he can't pull a player out of thin air, but I mean, you know, if someone can't sign with someone because they're up against the cap or, you know, they, they foresee some issues uh, going forward, kind of like Detroit did with Bertuzzi, um, you know, maybe you can get a player like that. I mean, you know, again, like like Steve said, I mean, drafting and developing is the key to being good in this league. And that's why rebuilds do take as long as they do, especially in the cap era. Otherwise, you could just kind of 
buy players and stuff like that. But unfortunately, it doesn't work like that anymore like it used to. But in terms of the heroic deal, I mean, it kind of confused me, to be honest with you. But then honestly, then you see the return and it's like, okay, well, I mean, I can certainly stomach that. And I mean, given the fact that like even like this team, they were playing really well and then they ran into Ottawa and you could just see the imperfections right away. And like as good as the run was. Like as a fan, this is probably the most excited I was to like come home and watch the wings. And not that I don't watch every game, but that was certainly like, oh, my God, this is must watch TV. And like, you know, it just didn't go well. So, I mean, I don't blame Steve Eisenman for for making the most out of players that, you know, people were calling on, to be honest with you. And honestly, the heroic thing. He was playing well this year for the most part, but in the Ottawa games, I don't think he was great defensively. And I think I'm sure Steve didn't make that indicative off of those two games, but you know, he was not very good in those games. So, I mean, I don't know. That's collectively you could argue too, but he, he actually had some standout, like, what are you doing moments in? Yeah. But I was trying to be nice. (laughs) Well, he's not the only one that had those moments in those two games. Too. No, so, no, you know, we can single him out, but it, he's not the only one. Brady Kachuk can go to hell. That's what I want. <laughs> he's going to be a pest for a long time, though. That's going to be I say it's going to be fun because I took heat for saying that this could be a rivalry one day on Twitter. It will be totally people, right. People were like coming after me like it's not a rivalry when you can't compete. And I'm like, I'm not saying today, but I'm saying they're going to be good together. Can't Buffalo compete in that mix. Yeah. Ottawa's been one of the worst. T- I, I, everyone overhyped Ottawa this season is what happened from the very beginning. They're like, Ottawa's going to be a team that's automatically in the playoffs. And I'm saying, I don't see it with how they're doing right now. But their their trajectory is almost in line with ours to where it could absolutely, absolutely be a rivalry because we're going to be in about the same place at the same time. Even Eisenman more or less said that. Yeah. I don't know if you heard that. We talked about it after the press conference, too, just that. Right now, it's Tampa Bay, it's Toronto, you know, that's who we're, who we're watching. And eventually, it's going to be Ottawa and Detroit, and it's going to be Buffalo. Those are going to be the Atlantic Division, you know, powerhouses. So it's going to take a turn there. And that's what I don't think people are are realizing. Somehow, Boston will stay there because I live here. No, they can't. There is no way that they can stay. Like, I, even though everybody thought this was going to be the year that they they weren't at the top, but they are more than at the top. So. I hope not. You should hear these delusional people here. But anyhow, <laughs> people on Twitter talking about the fact that, like, you know, the the wings punted on this and they did that. And it's like, like Steve Eisenman's job is to make this team better. A, a sustainable Stanley Cup contender is, is what the goal is. Mm-hmm. It's not make your favorite players Detroit Red Wings forever. He's going to make tough decisions that you're not going to like. And as a fan, you know, like you don't have to love the decision. But if you're a fan of the team, you're going to support it, you know, one way or another. You're going to have to deal with it one way or another. So. Iserman's not here to be our friend, guys. That's, exactly. I think that's, as much I think as that's what we need to realize. I loved um, when he said, you know, did he think this team could make the playoffs? He did. He said that he's like, yeah, I thought this team could could sneak into the playoffs. But he said, is this team a cup contender? Absolutely not. And that's the goal. The goal is not to sneak in to the eighth seed in the playoffs and get bounced in the first round. Like, that's not the goal for this team. They they want to make deep playoff runs and contend for a Stanley Cup. So that's what he's thinking about. And that's what we should be thinking about. 
It's nice that he didn't discredit the fact that if they were to somehow sneak in, it's not that that wouldn't be valuable for him. Yeah, he made right. that very clear that that would be awesome. But they also don't want to see them play four games and get demoralized and then be like, oh, well, we're there. Yeah. And I think his point was it's not getting into the playoffs is not going to be the reason that he does or does not make moves. Right. So because he didn't think this team could contend for the cup this year, he was still going to make those moves. And that's why I think he said in no scenario was I going to be a buyer because that's where this team is at right now. It, yeah. it was interesting, though, that he made note that those two games in Ottawa, what he, he considered that the closest they've had to a playoff game. Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we could all agree with that, right? I think Larkin even said something to the effect of like, these are our playoffs. Like what's happening right now, them leading up to it and being in the chase. These are playoff style games because everyone's fighting to actually punch their ticket to get in. So these are the games leading up that are that are hard for them. And I mean, it showed it showed that they lack a lot of physicality. And that was the problem in Ottawa is they just got beat up the entire game. Bullied is a. Simple I mean, it's there. it's valuable as hard as it is for us to swallow as fans when we watch the game. As someone who works for the team when I watch the game, it's it's they're tough pills to swallow when something like that happens. But the fact that they are playoff like atmospheres and you're learning how to get up for games like that, that's great for all the young guys on our team, even though it didn't turn out the way that they wanted, but they got the experience, right? And growing pains. That's how you learn. My question to Steve Eisenman would have been if the team was say, you know, two or three points clear in the wild card, like in the first wild card or even in the second wild card, would he have traded guys like Bertuzzi and and Veron or Verona even or even Heronic? So I think that's what we're going to talk about next. Tyler Bertuzzi to Boston for a 2024 first and a 2025 fourth. Sorry, number Tyler. Two, Tyler. I'm on here tonight. Yeah, uh, that one didn't shock me. I had Bertuzzi going simply the because Boston did. Uh, no, yeah, to Boston did. That was the one thing within within the division. And to a team, I mean, I again, but though thinking about it, Boston, you know, got to stop Boston anyways. I mean, it's like a train. It's it's an unstoppable train, but it's it hurt a lot of people. That was the thing is like a lot of people got the oh, my God, you're trading away my favorite player kind of thing, which is where I go. You can't get attached to people like that. And that was one of the questions, Daniela. It's like uh, one person asked who's been the hardest player to see traded for you and I think that a lot of people looked and they're like, Bertuzzi's my favorite player. He brings a lot of grit. He was he's like a uh, like the junkyard dog out on the ice and you trade him away. But again, the return for him on a rental for Boston because they just signed pasta to a massive deal. A 2024 first, which is top 10 protected, could slide to 2025. But I don't think that's going to be an issue. And a 2025 fourth for a rental player who they're going to use in if they try to re-sign him, they're going to have to make some structural moves in the organization to do so. And Eiserman had even said that the, the talks really didn't go anywhere. And we had seen reports that the last talks were in December and completely broke down. And for a guy you know you're not going to re-sign, to get that kind of return is, is exactly what you're looking for. Because I think the worst thing they could have done is, like you said, go into an eighth seed in the playoffs, sneak in get absolutely demolished by the Bruins and then let Bertuzzi walk for nothing. Mm-hmm. And so it's recouping those assets in places where, you know, those assets can be attained when the person you're losing is you're going to lose them anyways. Yeah. I mean, it, it had to be done in a, in a sense. It, it's the right move. And I think everybody 
can agree with that. But yeah, it does. It stings to lose your favorite player. And knowing that Tyler Bertuzzi is such a great locker room guy. I mean, you saw Dylan Larkin's reaction. He cried. I know they're friends, right? They, they have deeper relationships with each other than we'll ever know. But Tyler Bertuzzi, I know he affected the locker room in a very positive way. Like when he was there and even when he was injured, it, it bummed everybody out because his presence wasn't in the locker room all the time. Right. So just that aspect of Bertuzzi is probably what everybody is going to miss most. Obviously his game it's fun to watch. He's like that gritty style player, probably the grittiest the Red Wings have had in a while. And he's going to fit in pretty well, I think, in a playoff style Bruins team. So I- I'm happy for him in the sense of he's going to go make a cup run this year. Like Boston could very well win the Stanley Cup and Tyler Bertuzzi could be a part of that, which is huge for him. So no matter what happens in the offseason, if he ends up somewhere else or I, I mean, if he ends up back in Detroit, no one ever knows exactly what's going to happen after the end of this. But I, his time in Boston is going to be good for him, I think. And it's exciting. And I know it's sad to see him leave Detroit. But, hey, if he wins a cup, I think we'll all be pretty happy for him. Not the Bruins as a whole, though. Let me please clarify. We'll be very upset clarify. about everyone yes. else. <laughs> the only one you guys can be happy for is my dad because my dad's a diehard. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, your dad's the be best. We, we can't be mad at Seals or be upset with him ever. Well, Boston sports are just like really good, and it's and I only like always, two of them, so always, yeah. I, I think with Bert, though, you made the point. I, I know, I think, I feel like every time that a player gets traded, we're like, oh, we can bring it back in the offseason. We know that that's just a bunch of fooey and it's never gonna happen. I think because of the relationship with Larkin and, and a few other guys there's a bit of a more realistic chance that that could happen, but it's what the comments that he made about his conversations with his agent. That's where you're just like, "Ah, and I I hate to put this on a player because it sucks to have to do that, but you have to look at how much he's been injured over the past few years too. And um, he's had a very hard time staying healthy, which it's just the style of game he plays. That's how he plays hockey. I mean, it's, it's kind of an injury prone style, so I think that's something that you have to take into consideration, too, when you look at Bertuzzi and signing him to a longer term contract. To me, it was a term issue. It would always be a term issue. Yeah. If, if Bert's saying, I am 28 years old, this is where I sign my long contract to have my career and stability and everything. I want eight years, seven years. And you go, dude, you broke both your hands or wrists. You've had major back surgery. You've missed games. I'll give you three. And if you can stay healthy, we'll extend you longer. And I think that's probably where the breakdown was, because you're looking the when the guys are at this age, like Larkin, looking for that long term deal. And granted, Larkin's had injury, but I mean, getting cross checked in the neck wasn't his fault. And it's just it's the break. Like you said, the style of game he plays, I think lends to not a shorter career, but a shorter period of high production, because then you run into either a Marchand issue where he just had to have double like hip surgery or you run into like he's already had back surgery. We saw what back surgery did to Danny DeKaiser and how he fell off that way. And Henrik Zetterberg had back issues. So it's not that just backs you get the back surgery and then you're okay all of the time. It's that those issues can creep back up. So I understand where he was coming from with with the breakdown in contract talk. But again, you might go into the offseason and find that other teams are going to look at your medical history, too, and are going to look at your style of play. And you might run against no teams offering you seven years and there might be a chance to come back. Who knows? So I like I agree with Ryan there with the friendship with Larkin in the locker room and 
seeing what else is out there, that might make it a little bit easier. I mean, I love the return. I hate the fact that he he has to end up in this cesspool here. And of course, but, his first first point was a beauty. Yeah, and Very you know, good. again, like I said, he's a good fit. I mean, the Bruins are obviously a good hockey team, and you know, the best in the NHL right now. I feel you dying on the inside having to say that out loud. Uh, they're all out there listening, you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, the, he's a good fit for them, and uh, you know, uh, he'll do well. And so far, he has done well. I'm sitting in a freaking bar on Saturday watching the game and everyone I have my Red Wings sweatshirt on and everyone's like thanks for Bertuzzi got freaking strangers coming up to me I'm like oh my god get me Did out they at of least here, buy please. you beer you just have to say thanks for your first round pick like we're, we're good yeah we'll be fine <laughs> we'll be winning Stanley Cups when you're sucking wind at the bottom <laughs> of the standings but no I mean like I said tell him to take care of Bertuzzi though tell him they better embrace him I mean, I think most people will. People He's love that. He's the Boston-style player. He is. Exactly. Yeah. And honestly, yeah. like, the whole Detroit tough, Boston tough kind of thing is kind of similar. So I think the fans will certainly embrace Bertuzzi here in Boston. But honestly, at the end of the day, like, the Wings got what they got for him. It, it'll probably be end up being a good player in the end because Boston will make the playoffs next year, I would think. And if they don't the next year, then, hey, they could fall off a cliff the next year and you end up with a really high draft pick in 2020, 2024, right? So 25. Conditional next year, then it could be whatever the following year. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I like it. It's just the fact that he's going to a team like that. And plus, I'm going to the game on Saturday and, you know, people are going to give me shit. But you know how it goes. So the next trade the Detroit Red Wings made was you know, another one that kind of not shocked people. But the return did, and I wasn't shocked by the return, but we'll get into that. Jacob Rana to the Blues for a 2025 seventh round pick and AHL center veteran Dylan McLaughlin. Again, not shocked. I mean, I kind of saw it coming. Um, to me, Newsy, every time he was asked about Verana, almost seemed annoyed to be asked about him. Uh, he was scratched several times, brought back up from Grand Rapids, sat most of the time, played a few games, wasn't super impressive, didn't score. I don't think he had any points. And he is shipped to uh, the Blues. Iserman was on uh, 97 on the ticket this morning and asked about Verana. He said initially the plan was to play him throughout the rest of the season and see if they could do something in the offseason, potentially even play him next year and see how that played out. But he had seen that the issues were not going to resolve themselves. So the best thing to do for the organization was to move Jacob Vrana. Now, we'll never know what the issues are. We don't care. It's none of our business. The return, again, underwhelming to say the least, because if he lights it up in St. Louis, then there's that. But it takes the money off the cap is the big thing that it does. And it, it just it looked like it was never going to work past the point of him getting out of the players assistance program. So hopefully he does well where he's at. He's he's a guy that I think deserves another chance after going through what he's going gone through and got the help. So I think him as a person deserves another chance and him as a player deserves another chance. If he lights it up, great. That's fantastic. Maybe he can turn it around. But I mean, to me right now, it is what it is. But the biggest thing you recoup here is the cap savings. Yeah, you're 100% right. And of course, like you just said, we will never know the ins and outs of what happened behind the scenes with Jacob Verona and, and everything that went down as Red Wings fans, as 
you know, fans of Jacob Verano, we just have to wish him the best in St. Louis. And sometimes it really is just a change of scenery, a change of, you know, pace and everything, some new teammates, some new management, new relationships to build. That Third time's will, a charm. Right. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. That will help him propel. But it, it's unfortunate because we never got to see a full Jacob Verona season here in Detroit. And obviously, some things are more important than hockey. And things that he was dealing with were definitely more important than hockey. And I think Steve Eiserman knows that, too. But just from an organizational standpoint and from a Jacob Verona standpoint, it was best for him to go to a different team, to try to start over there. And you know what? If he lights it up with St. Louis, is it going to be like a little heartbreaking because we didn't get it here? Yes, of course. But so good for him. I think that that is exactly something that he needs, just that fresh start and the second chance. Like you said, he he went through a lot. So hopefully he can he can turn something around in his career. Yeah, I think the big thing in the discord earlier, 53 Mo hits made a good point. He played in 51 of 181 possible games in Detroit. That hurts a lot. Now, I get most of a lot of that was injury, but most of this season, obviously, was the player assistance program. So it's there's always going to be a what if because we knew that at five on five, he was one of the most electric goal scorers in hockey, arguably right behind Matthews. Yeah. Granted, that's it's looking at what some people discredit sometimes in the fancy stats, but he it matched the eye test when he was on the ice. He was a guy that you had to pay attention to. I felt like right before the, the game, that he was a couple of games he was in. There was those flashes of that playmaking and offensive smarts starting to come back a little bit, but for obviously reasons that we'll never know, it just it wasn't there. So if it, if it comes to St. Louis, now that's a team that you don't know what's exactly going on over there. Are they selling or are they trying to bring stuff in? Who knows? He's at a good rate for them the next year and a half-ish, but they've got him for one more year, 2.62, so you can't really be too upset on their end. If, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but I hope he does well. If he, if I'm not, yes, you mentioned the the return was underwhelming, but at the same time, what we, if you were expecting more as a fan, you had a really crazy expectation because it wasn't going to happen. The fact that he cleared waivers and then came back, and then we still got something out of him, meaning a draft pick and a player, that's a win. Yep. I know it's not a win in terms of. The fact that he's gone because a lot of people really weren't dear to him, love what he brought to the table and what he could have brought to the table. But like I said, you could have lost him for nothing. You didn't. And granted, that's because no teams were going to take on that five million dollars and you didn't know what else was going on. But you got something. That's all you can ask for. And now you got more money flexibility going into next season. So wish him the best and you know hopefully everything gets better in that aspect. And you know, hopefully he finds his game again, you know, because Again, we talk about what the wings are missing, and that's a, a goal scoring winger um, who is, you know, he's a goal scorer. Like, you either have it or you don't, and you have that scoring touch or you don't. I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, some players luck into it, or, you know, they just work really hard in front of the net and they, they get those garbage goals in front of the net. But, like, he could score from pretty much anywhere on the ice, you know, in the offensive zone. And, you know, that that's not taught. That's something that you just have. Um, and, you know, it's just it's tough to see a player like that go into a situation like that and then also look the way he did in the last couple of games. And, you know, then the coach is bringing it, you know, the, the coach kind of gets annoyed every time he gets brought up. I was listening to another podcast that were talking about, um, you know, players getting waived in particular, not not Jacob Verona, but just in particular, when a player gets waived, that's pretty much 
the team doesn't believe in you anymore. They want nothing to do with you anymore. Like basically the other teams can have you for free. So like for, for people to think that he was going to come back and light it up, it was just a pipe dream, unfortunately. But again, like I said, you wish him the best and hopefully he can get everything back in line. Yeah, it's 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 a bummer on our end, I think, because what was our hot take that he could he was going to be a forty goal scorer this season? I think I said that. It's not that hot of a take. Back, no, yeah, it wasn't. Back, yeah, it's <laughs> That's not. What sucks. Yeah. No, the hot take was fifty. We we were predicting forty. Okay. I think that's what it was. I mean, like like you said, just you wish him well as a person to be able to go just clear up everything he can clear up. Uh, get back on the ice and hopefully turn his game around and and actually have a productive career. Because even if he does light it up in St. Louis, they still suck. So whatever. Uh, next, we sent Oscar Sundquist to Minnesota for a 2023 fourth round pick. Um, OK, I mean, that's that's the way I looked at it. I mean, Sundquist, fourth line grinder role. He was out there to to add a little bit of physicality to the lineup. Uh, they brought in Adam Ernie back from Grand Rapids, which was actually seems to be a good move for the most part. But to get a fourth round pick in uh, this year's draft. So, again, stocking up on draft picks to send him to mini because they did send out Jordan Greenway. So I think Oscar Sundquist is the Jordan Greenway replacement uh, in Minnesota. So, I, I mean, that's to me. I mean, that's just another guy you weren't going to resign in the offseason on an already uh, a roster that's already getting a little a little tight. So returns fine for me. Yeah, I mean, it made sense. They could, we didn't even talk about it, but part of that Heronic deal was our fourth round pick. So they sent Heronic and a fourth to Vancouver, which means Eiserman just got that pick back by sending Sonny to Mini. And um, again, Sonny's a great guy, good locker room presence, great guy to chat with, super funny. So you'll miss him in that aspect again. But yeah, I, it makes sense. Again, another deal that I wasn't surprised. Return was decent, got that fourth round pick back and Hey, we'll look forward to the draft and see what Eiserman can do with the picks. I yeah, I think it's good. The one thing that does worry me a little bit, obviously, you call up Adam Ernie, but with Michael Rasmussen out, the Red Wings don't have very much size going into the final stretch here. So yeah, that's uh that's the only thing that I thought that was my first thought when Sonny was traded. I was like, Well, there goes our our only big guy or our only gritty style player that was left. The final redwood has fallen. Uh, I was about to say it. That's what that's what happened. Until Elmer gets back. Until Elmer gets back. And I think he should get a shot to finish out the season, Elmer, because we do have holes in the lineup. So, Ryan, what did you think about the Sunquist trade? It, it, I I hope it rejuvenates him because it's it kind of seemed as of late that Sonny was kind of going through the motions more or less. It's not to say that there was a lack of effort, but I mean it, he just. He got stagnant, it seemed like. And going now to a Minnesota team that's second in the central, will that elevate him back to a, a little bit higher level? I'm not saying he's going to be like Nathan McKinnon, obviously, but he has a role to play. He's a 200-foot he's a guy. He's going to play. He could be on your second power play. You know he's going to be on their PK. So I don't know if he was maybe just getting kind of tired midway through the season, but he just kind of seemed there of late so maybe making that jump from detroit who obviously we they, we've seen the team been struggling now you're going to a minnesota team that's pushing fighting for that number one seed in the central who knows it's a, it's a great fit for him i love the greenway trade i wish that detroit actually could have somehow brought him in because he's a big body jerk more or less and but he's got skill 
I loved when he got drafted by Minnesota because he was playing for Team USA back in the day on the development team. He is a young, tough player, and he would have been awesome to see here, but it is what it is. So him going over there was surprising, but also good for him. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, the Sunquist deal it didn't really surprise me. Another UFA that was probably going to leave at your no, end. Or you, thought, you thought he would be gone? I, I thought he would probably. I mean, I guess it it depends on how the negotiations went. I don't, if they tried to re-sign him or not, maybe that's part of the going through the motions thing that you were talking about. But, um, you know, I mean, like I said, it, it's Steve had to make a decision of players that he it, whether you thought you were going to roll the dice and you thought you could re-sign him. And I think he probably got all the guys re-signed that he thought he could get re-signed with Wallman and Larkin and Mata. So um, the guys that weren't going to be re-signed, he wasn't going to let an asset go to waste. He was going to try to get what he could for it. So as for Greenway, yeah, Greenway would have been a great Detroit Red Wing. I mean, I watched him play at Boston University for four years. Unbelievable player, obviously, in the World Juniors for Team USA as well. So, yeah, that would have been awesome. And, uh, you know, a player like that is definitely something that the Wings need going forward, too. Now, the last thing that almost happened to Michael Martinez at FFX I Farkle on Twitter asked the Flyers trade rumors about JVR. That was one thing that almost happened. They said that from what people gather, it is that uh, Iserman wanted to make another move first in order to trade for JVR. And it sounded like what was going to happen is just going to flip him anyways for picks, more picks. So that was one thing. And apparently Chuck Fletcher said that he didn't get any calls on JVR until about 1.30 and by then he ran out of time uh, to do anything else. So that's uh, Flyers fans are very angry. So I would say overall with the trade deadline, I ended up giving Eiserman an A minus. That was mine. I think he maximized his value. He was able to trade away guys he couldn't resign or that were about to become free agents. He was able to make a move for to free up cap space in Verona. I think he did everything he needed to do. And also knowing that that was basically his plan all and along. Veronica. Yeah, and Veronic. But to basically know that was his plan all along, I gave it an A minus. Yeah, I'm wondering, does your minus come in? Because there was really, I mean, you get Dylan McLaughlin, but he's an, an AHLer, right? You yeah. don't get a player in any of those deals, which... Um, was one I don't even want to say it's concerning because I really do think the Red Wings were deep enough this year to finish out the season with what happened. They they can manage that, right? But I was a little surprised that maybe, you know, Bertuzzi or Heronic didn't have a player included in the deal, like almost a player for player swap. But especially hey. the Phil one, because they didn't retain any salary there. That's where I'm at. Yeah. So I think it was because you traded Hronik and your right side is already kind of weak going down. So to plug that hole, you kind of almost wanted to take someone back unless your plan is to keep playing Ben Sherrod on the right. But from what I've also heard is that if you want to give a guy like Albert Johansson a shot, he's apparently been playing on the right in Grand Rapids. So maybe they're training him up and getting him more comfortable to come up in a right D role instead of his traditional left D role. Because if you also plan on moving Edvinson in two, you're running to a log jam after re-signing Wallman and Mata. Which, just a comment there. My trip to Grand Rapids, one thing I learned is that this, and this is no knock on Edvinson. I think his development is going well and everybody's really impressed with what he's doing. But Johansson has been, he's got all the buzz right now and, um, I talked to Sean Horikoff for waiting in the wings, which will come out in a couple of weeks here. But Ooh. he said, you know, teaser. If, for, 
for Johansson, you want to see him get his shot at the NHL this year. If he doesn't get that at the end of this season, then you have to think it's going to be next season, whether that's out of camp or a call up or whatever it might be. But they seem to think he's the most NHL ready defenseman in Grand. I mean, he's two years yeah. older than Edmondson. Edmondson. Right. So there's yeah. that. Uh, but he's also not eligible for a contract slide because he's too old. So it doesn't matter what he, whether he plays nine games or whether he fin- comes up now and finishes out the season. Uh, his, you're burning a year of his ELC anyways. So I I would agree. I have also watched some tape on on uh, Johansson. And he's, I mean, a solid all around defenseman. And he's a guy that makes very little mistakes and he's got a very detailed game. So I would love to see Johansson come up and and finish out the season. But that's the only reason I think I gave a minus is because, like you said, players didn't cut. There wasn't really there was no NHL player that came back. So that was where my minus came in. He was trying to build the old Detroit Red Wings where the only right-handed defenseman is Brian Rafalski, a.k.a. now (laughs) Morris Sider. One of the most underrated defensemen of all time. The only trade I feel like I thought something was coming back in terms of a player was probably the Boston deal. Mm-hmm. But it turns out they ended up putting what Hall on LTIR. So they ended up clearing all that cap space to make the deal work. It's I, I mean, I'd, I'd go with a strong B because a, a works because of the first round picks that you got back. B only in the sense that what are those going to be with the A minus? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a minus works too. But I mean, what, it's it kind of goes back to what he was talking about. Like, you don't know what those picks are going to be. You have a lot of options on the table. Are they going to be traded? Are you going to draft them? How far out are those guys going to be? Are they even going to be good if they do? If you draft, if they're used as a draft pick. But I don't know. It's to think that he completely sunk the boat on this one. I mean, I think it was Carlos that said he was waving the white flag, or people are saying that he waved the white flag on the season, like. The expectation, and I think we talked about it quite a bit, if this team was competing for a playoff spot after the trade deadline, which arguably they were, that's all you can hope for. They're playing meaningful meaningful games up until the start of March, which if you look at the last several years, they haven't been doing that. So there's growth there. There's potential there. The young players are still improving. That's all you can ask for at this point. Just to add to that, I mean... I know the eye test, right? That doesn't have, there's no fancy stat that that backs up the eye test, but we've all watched, you know, three quarters of a season now, and they look like a team that has, has something really going here. Their defense has improved. I, just, just watching them is a little bit more enjoyable. It's a more enjoyable brand of hockey and they're taking steps in the right direction. Again, I can't back eye test with any numbers or whatever that is, but you guys all know you watch three quarters of the season and you can see the steps the team has taken. And it took that long. I think it took that long to gel and to yeah. get the system in place and to get working and get healthy. That was another thing, too, is, is getting healthy. But we I put a poll out that assuming and this was right before trade deadline ended, assuming no last minute trades came through. How would you grade Iserman on the trade deadline? And at about 2000 votes, I had a solid 50 percent gave him a B with a 32 percent giving him an A. So the fan base is happy, which they should be because you're stocking up on a, a draft that's deep. You stocked up on picks that Eisman even said those picks can be used to acquire players. And because he loves doing player for player trades, but he said picks are an uncertainty. You don't know what that player is going to become. So I like that. I like what he did. Everything. Everyone else seems to also like what he did. But what we're going to do real quick is take a quick break. We're going to come back for a mailbag. But we have to get in a word really quick from DraftKings. 
NBA fans, it's time to bring the hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Go to DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place a same-game parlay on any NBA team, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. Download the app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with code THPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void in Ohio. See show notes for details. And we're back and we have a big mailbag. Uh, Everyone loves when Daniela comes on, so they all get their questions in like real quick. Um, but we're going to start off the top with Alex at A13XChang on Twitter. How does your job, now this is a personal one for you, how does your job vary day to day slash what do you do off screen when you aren't reporting? Off screen when I'm not reporting. The, the funny thing is, this question always gets me because I feel like people think I'm on camera and then like I don't do anything. Like I just get on, I talk and then I'm done. Um, no, but there's a, a lot of prep that goes into that. Obviously on a game day, I am at little Caesars arena for 13 to 14 hours. I get there at about nine in the morning and then you leave around. I maybe it's like, thir- yeah, it's like 13 hours. So you're there at a nine 30 ish leave after post game. And all of that is, you know, covering morning skate, getting prepped for my shows that are in bowl. I do the four check with Ken Cal. A lot of people don't know that I edit all my own work. So I'm editing everything that you see out on the websites, out on social media, um, on an off day, if there's practice, a lot of times that's when we shoot our interviews. So they'll be done after practice. So if there's a word on Woodward or I do a one-on-one, whatever it might be that happens after practice, go watch practice, do regular locker room media availability. And then we'll have whoever it is come up and we'll shoot that interview. And then I edit that right after. So those can be long days as well. Um, I don't know what, what else do I do on a day to day? This is always fun to think of on the spot. Yeah, when we talk to Stacy, you guys are insane. Like yeah, your day is absolutely on. nuts. Yeah, it's crazy. It, there's a lot going on. There is a nice break, like on a game day when I say I'm there. So I cover morning skate, then Ken and I shoot the four check, which I actually shoot on my own too. So I am a one man band for that. I, I use, I operate the camera. That's why you'll see me when someone's like, all oh, the audio sucks. Whoever their audio person is. Doesn't like, know what doing. And I'm like, it was one mistake. Okay. Like I can't listen to the audio and I'm trying to think if I've ever said that now. <laughs> so yes, um, I, I one man band for that. Then I, we edit when I go upstairs after morning skate and edit, we have a game day meeting where we kind of go over the script for what's going to happen in bowl. Um, and then we do, I get like a dinner break, but I work very closely with our control room as well because they push all my graphics and highlights and everything like that for game day live. So when I'm working with them, I'm going down and saying, okay, here's what we're going to talk about today. Let's build a graphic that says this, 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 and this. And then for the replays, I want to run this, this, and this, and then we do highlights during intermission. So I'm my earpieces that I wear, I'm always communicating with the control room, which is another thing. A lot of people don't know, like I'm talking to them about what highlights to run, where, how many looks you want at it, um, what graphics that we have available, certain stats, like they're, they're in my ear all the time. They'll, They'll come up with like some crazy stats and I'll repeat them on camera. So believe it or not, not always do I have all of those, like, underlying stats uh of you mean you're not a, an encyclopedia like not all the time sometimes it's me but sometimes it's like if i bring up like if i just randomly bring up jake wallman during a segment i'll get in my ear jake wallman has this many hits tonight he's got this many minutes so i'll be like okay yeah so now i'll have something to say when it comes right back to me so i work very closely with them and we are like on the same wavelength now that 
we, we just work very well together. So that's a lot of my day. And then there is a nice dinner they feed us. So we get to eat at the, in the media dining room and all that. And then it's game time. And from there, yes, I do just get to watch the game, which is fun. That's a fun part about my job. I do my intermission shows, but I have to be watching the game. So <laughs> yeah, you get to be on Twitter and talking to everyone while the game's going on, which is yeah, nice. That too. <laughs> that too. From Kaylee, mayor of soup at Re- Natasha Romanox on Twitter. Uh, for you, who has been the hardest player during your career to see get traded? Hmm even knowing the return was necessary. No, I, I actually, I, I, I'm i going to go all the way. The Bertuzzi one, it, it was tough because I'm a huge Tyler Bertuzzi fan. I don't know if any, he's been one of my favorite Red Wings for a very long time. And so that one was tough, but I think I expected it a little bit more. But when Anthony Mantha got traded um, for Jacob Verana, that one was a little more shocking to me. So I think that that was a, that was a difficult one to deal with. Just not really, that was at like the witching hour too. Like it was like three Oh five when that came in or whatever it, it whatever it was. So that one was a, a little difficult to deal with. I think. What about as like, like growing up as a Wings fan? Oh God. I can't remember a trade that hit me really hard. But I was a big Nick Lidstrom fan, which is like everyone was a big Nick Lidstrom fan. So I'm not saying anything unique there. But um, it, when he said he was going to retire, I remember being very, just very hurt. I'm like, no, I feel like Nick, you can play like five more years. I don't know why. Why are you? You can still play right now. He says he couldn't, but I think he could. Still. No, he could. Absolutely. When he had his press <laughs> conference and, and and basically announced that he was retiring, like he starts crying. I'm like, Nick Lidstrom cries. I. So I actually today solidarity. Was the anniversary of his jersey retirement. Um, and that video that they, that the social team posted, I usually do the, the, on the stage, there's another part of my, my job that a lot of people don't know. So I edit a lot of the, on this day videos. And when I was doing that, when I swear I was tearing up, I'm like, Oh, didn't he just have a grandbaby? Did he? Did Lidstrom's kid have, I feel like Nick Lidstrom's kid just had a kid. Yeah. Nope. Nick Lidstrom's, uh, Nick Lidstrom's son had, uh, they played it on the, uh, the broadcast. Oh, I do remember this. You're right. Yeah. So Nick Lidstrom is a grandfather. Um, I'm not sure he's putting on skates anymore, but that uh, that just makes me feel old. I'm going to stop talking about Does that. Does that make us feel old? Shut up, Tyler. You're what, 26? Yeah, shut 28? up, Tyler. Like growing up though, saying your grandpa's Nick Lidstrom. Like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, he's going to grow up and play for the Red Wings. So yeah, that's right. going to happen there. From Carlo Mario at Drumline on Twitter, after hearing Steve speak and openly laying out the position he was in, I immediately felt better and understood his actions at the deadline. Do you think he should or can speak more per season? I think Steve Eiserman talks a lot to the media um, every season. The media might argue that we would. I, of course, everyone wants to hear Steve Eiserman talk every day, right? We would love that. Um, but he ups, he updates us after the most important events throughout the year. He always talks at training camp. He always talks after the trade deadline. He'll talk after free agency, the draft, all of the, the really important dates he'll hit on. And I think that he's built a pretty good relationship with uh, Derek Lalone that a lot of they have similar messages, right? Obviously, Derek Lalone can't answer questions about why trades were made. And that's why we hear from Steve Eiserman at times like this. But they're very much on the same page about their, the players that are on the team. So I, I really don't know what other times you you would really want to want to hear from Steve Eiserman. I think I, I guess everyone would always like to hear from him, but I think he does a really good job. And I think he takes all of the questions when he does address the media. And I think he's pretty transparent. He tells us exactly how he's feeling, where he's at. And like, I think that was Carlos, you said that asked the question. 
I think the whole fan base could agree that you feel a little better after you hear the why from Steve Eiserman. Yeah, I think it's a lot of uh, I, I love a graphic on how many times each NHL GM talks to the media per season. Um, but I think Eiserman also does a lot of, of side interviews, too, that I'm not sure how many other GMs do. Like like I said, he talked to 97 on the ticket this morning. He's on the radio. He's talking to uh, NHL Network uh, a lot of times. So he was with Mickey the other night, too. Yeah. So and that was really good. Yeah, He's done very- stuff with TNT as well. Yeah. yeah. He was a little bit more open with Mickey than he was like in the actual press conference. I thought it was a lot more relaxed. I think he felt like he could say a little bit more. Yeah, Those Zoom press conferences are hard. I, I still say that. I'm like, I wish they were in person a little bit more because they're just, still not in person. Well, some of them are, but sometimes they're not just based on timing like that. We didn't know exactly when Steve Eisenman was going to be done. You know, you don't, you don't know when he's going to be done making moves or what time he's going to be available. So they decided to do that one virtually. So when they are virtual, it's still tough, but great to hear from him. When they're virtual, the sound suffers for the reporters. Yeah. We can't hear half of what the questions yeah. are. Great answers. Don't know what the question was that was asked. <laughs> like you care about the answers anyway, right? No. <laughs> yeah, I can I can guess what the question was. <laughs> From John Quinn at John Quinn on Twitter, and then also Alan had a follow-up in the same vein. Is the upcoming draft considered a deep one that benefits the wings? And where do we see the landing odds-wise for Bedard and Fantilli? Detroit doesn't win draft lotteries, so absolutely zero. Uh, the draft, though, is very deep. I think if you're drafting in the top 15 this year, you're getting a really good player. And and they have said that there are guys in the top 10, like even out of the top three that are possibly NHL ready right out of the gate. Yeah, I'm not going to act like I know a ton about the the upcoming prospects, but I have heard from multiple people the same thing, that it is a deep draft. And um, you, you want your first round pick in this draft, basically. You you want to be able to pick in that first round. Um but I do think what's interesting about the Bedard and Vitelli, how do, what, how do you say his name? Why am I playing? Fantilly. 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 That's right. Michigan kid. Art's obsessed with him. Tyler's was about to start gushing over him. Yeah. Yeah. Stay muted, Tyler. Anyway, anyway um, I was made aware of a pretty interesting stat that like nobody ever moves their top three picks in the NHL. Like you never see anybody move up. And it's been like 20 years since something like that has happened. So for the Red Wings to get either of those players, they have to be in the lottery, number one, and they have to win the lottery, number two. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly where they're going to land. I'm not going to hold my breath. They're probably going to go one and two. <laughs> this will be the year that we get it because we're not expecting it. Don't even. I think we're don't cursed. Don't put that in our minds. Yeah, don't put that in our minds. <laughs> we need Peyton Manning to come break the curse of the Red Wings since he apparently broke the curse of the Lions. So... We're going to have to have him come here and, and break our lottery curse because it's just it it's it's tough. I can't even Did like Manning have a Twitter. Does he have a Twitter? We should start. Maybe. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll start tonight. Peyton, man, <laughs> I will. I will send him a link and be like, you need to come new break has, the Red hashtag, Wings curse. Greg, the new yeah. hashtag going. <laughs> Peyton Manning curse breaker. Is that what he's going to be? Don't count on it would be my thing. Don't count on a Fantilli. Don't count on a Bedard. Maybe uh, Matvey Mitchkov drops a little bit in, in because there's still the the little bit of Russian scare out there that maybe the players won't come over, but he's another one that I think can be a game breaker. So maybe, maybe that happens. I don't think. And again, like you said, no one trades out of the top three spots. I think it's going to be hard to trade up at all in this draft simply because of players that are in the top 10 are going to want to stay in the top 10. 
Hey, I mean, they can jump up if the, if they're in the lottery, if the Red Wings finish in the lottery, they could still jump up. It might not be to the the one or two spot, but they could still jump up. So if it's a deep draft, it's a good one to have a couple first round picks in. And for people that are confused about that new rule, you can only jump up 10 spots. That's as far as you can go. So that's a new rule as of last year, I think, is when that kicked in. Uh, from Grace at Icebreaker 84, with many picks acquired, do you think Eiserman could trade for uh, or offer sheet one of the Rangers RFAs in Heedle, Miller, or Lafreniere when the Rangers have no cap coming up, which is going to be fun? I don't think <sighs> offer sheets almost never happen right? because GMs don't like pissing off other GMs and then you waste a trade partner and they get mad at each other. And we saw when there was the offer sheet for uh, who was it? Who got offer sheet? Yeah. Kakaniemi that um, pissed some people off. So though you won't, you won't see trade partners there between Montreal and the hurricanes. I mean, some NBA and NFL drama in here. Yeah, but it's I think that the option is there to go out and, and like we said, trade some picks for a good player. And like yeah. I said, I I would love to get a guy like Tom Wilson on the team. You want to bring in toughness to the team. Tom Wilson's 28 years old. He brings in toughness, but he's and not skill and skill. That's the other side. If you want a guy that's going to go fight, that guy also has to be able to put up points because on a team like this, who hits very long stretches of anemic offense you can't have a guy on the team that's just plug and hole just to go punch someone in the face and take a penalty. So I, I would love to bring in a guy like Tom Wilson. I, teams don't really give up elite goal scorers unless you can maybe figure out how, how Toronto can stop circumventing a cap and maybe pry a guy away from them. But I, I think there's the option there because Iserman did say if, if he can move picks to, to acquire good players, he's going to try and do it. Look, this is the fun part of what we do, right? We get to speculate what's going to happen in the draft, at free agency. Is he going to make some more deals? I think the point of all of this is that there's options now, and he has the option to do multiple different things. So trying to pinpoint exactly what's going to happen this offseason is going to be really difficult, but just knowing that all of it could happen is is fun. I think there's there's a lot of things that could happen. There's a lot of ways that this could go. Just I'm looking at the picks. I think the Red Wings have 10 picks in the draft coming up now too. And there's like six in the first three rounds. So there's a lot of picks to work with. Those are capital. We'll see. We'll see. I think there's just a ton of different directions he could go in. And like I said, speculating what he's going to do is fun, but usually we're not right. Hey, it gives us content. <laughs> we try to be as right as possible, which is like, yeah. I don't know, like 30% of the time. The week, I feel like you're we being generous pull. to yourself there. No, remember you went back and you pulled some stuff from previous I did, episodes. I, did. I, I pulled a lot of stuff from the summer and early spring. And other than the Bruins, how we thought that they were going to be and the goalie the tandem and the uh, yeah the goalie tandem. and the goalie tandem. Other than yeah. that, we were pretty spot on. on we did, a lot we did of do stuff. pretty well. We we had some help with uh, Jay Fresh's model. He that looked pretty good. I mean, we we thought it was high, which it's obviously now looking high. But we did expect maybe bubble team. We thought Bruin, the Bruins are going to be terrible, and I and I was going bold and saying that Huso and Ned could be one of the top goaltending teams in the league, and that didn't happen. So, but shout out to all our fancy stat friends for providing us with fancy stats that help us make these predictions. Hey, Huso was really good, though. I mean, yes, yeah, not discrediting that. We wish it would have worked out a little better for Ned, but it, Huso turned out to be an excellent trade. That deal is he still your MVP? Honestly, yes. I don't know yeah. where this team would be without 
um, Billy Huso and that. Closer to Connor Bedard. <laughs> That's why when I when I saw Huso left the ice the other day at, yeah. at um, morning skate, I'm like, oh man, this team is really screwed if he's gone for an extended period of time. Uh, from the Kevin at Mr. Deeds 32 on Twitter, we understand it's a business, but the emotional impact still needs to be factored in. How much does trading Larkin's best friend impact his relationship or buy-in with the Iser plan? And how much changes, how much does it change his leadership style and approach? Now, I will say at the top, it doesn't. Because Larkin even said that he's signing this deal um, and putting faith in Iserman to build a better team, to acquire guys to make the team better. And he knows that. And I'm sure those are conversations that happen during a contract negotiation with a guy that you're going to sign for eight years. Like, hey, you're young. I'm going to sign you for the prime of your career. I'm going to do all these things to, to help you and help the team succeed. So I don't think it does, though. The emotional hangover of the trade deadline is absolutely obvious. Like I said, we saw Dylan Larkin's reaction, and I will say this. I don't think he had, and based on his, this is all based on what he told us during the press conference. I don't know exactly what the timeline was, but it sounds like he found out not long before he had to take the podium and talk to the media. His fiance called him while he was in the car on the way to the arena. Right. So it sounds like he got there, whether Bertuzzi was there or not, He, I'm sure he talked to Bertuzzi and then, you know, the emotions kind of went from there. So he didn't have a chance to, to unpack all of that before he was supposed to address the media and talk about something super exciting. So imagine just like the roller coaster of emotions there. And then they kept asking him about it. I know. So it's it, it, it's what happens. It's, you know, Dylan's a pro. And I'm sure if he could go back, he wouldn't have wanted to break down in front of the media because he is the captain and he wants to be strong, not only for his teammates, but for the entire city and know that this is still headed in the right direction. Everything is still trending in the right direction. I just think we're all humans, right? And when something like that happens, you're going to have your emotional reaction. And he didn't really get to do that in private before he had to talk to us. So um, credit to him, though. I think dealing with that is, is tough, but it's he's a pro he's a pro and it's not going to affect his relationship. He just signed an eight year contract. He wants to be a red wing. He wants to be the guy that brings a cup back to Detroit and he wants to build the team to do that. So I think everyone needs to not worry about that. I think it was just a bad timing, you know, a roller coaster of emotions throughout the couple of days there signing an eight year deal, your best friend gets traded. So there's just, you know, a lot of stuff going on for him, but I think he's totally fine. He's going to get right back into that mental space that he needs to be in and, He's he's going to be just fine as a leader. And you got to think from what Steve said, um, or actually, no, what Dylan said about like he was he was extremely shocked about the Heronic deal, but he wasn't shocked about the Bertuzzi deal. So you got to think that Steve came, you know, at least him and Steve had conversations of, you know, hey, there's a possibility that this might happen or this might happen. Are you still OK with the extension kind of thing? And, you know. Obviously, he was totally fine with it. So the reality of it is, too, when when you're on a team that's in the position the Red Wings are, you have to know that it can happen to pretty much anybody in that locker room when they're trying to build for the future. So does that make it any less emotional for him? No, but I'm sure that he wasn't fully surprised by it. On a roster with no with very few no movement and no trade clauses, like anything's going to happen at this point. What everyone saw was him process it in real time, which yeah. is the hard part for him. And if you watch Brad Galley did an interview with him after 
where he seemed much more calm. It was a little bit more lighthearted because, I mean, he kind of got it out of his system during the main presser, which was just a really, really bad time to do it. But I think all he needs to do is just take a, a nice weekend in his amazing summer room with a grill that I would kill someone for. That is just absolutely like I want to be able to go out into a room in my house and grill something during the winter. And Dylan Larkin has that luxury. So all he needs is a weekend there. Right. He'll be all right. <laughs> uh, from WW, at, we got a couple more from WW at Batboat 77. Do you believe it was a strategic mistake to try to improve the team last summer, knowing you might be able to get a very good player from around one to eight in the upcoming draft? But now you have lengthy contracts. I don't. Because you improved the team, guessing that Verona would play a whole season and that Bertuzzi wouldn't break both his wrists. So when we saw what even what bringing Bertuzzi in did to the team towards the end, it improved the team. I mean, you you started winning. You went on that streak. You won seven and ten. You, your team was playing very well. So I don't think it was a mistake. I think you go into each season looking at the team on paper and what you can accomplish if that team's healthy for the whole season. And I think if we did have Verona for a full season and had Bertuzzi for a full season, we would absolutely be in a playoff spot right now. No question about it. So I don't think it was a mistake. And Fabry, yeah. I don't think it was a mistake because Cop has been better as the season has progressed. He started recovering from surgery. He had no preseason. He had no training camp. And he's looked good. Uh, Sherratt... has been kind of rough and but he's again someone you can that other defensemen will learn from and he can anchor a bottom pair if you need him yeah you need and that's the thing you need the players like the david perrons the ben sherrats the andrew cobb and look only got an extension you you've got to bring in players like that you can't have all young talent right like there has to be some veterans there has to be some guys that have won before that know what it takes and ben sherrat that there's another Here's another thing where it's like you don't really have the numbers to back it up. But every time Derek Lalone talks about Ben Sherratt, it's the almost the intangibles, right? Not what you can see on paper from him, but the the kind of game that he plays. And we just talked about size. Really, the only guy we have that plays like a rougher style of hockey is Ben Sherratt now. And you're, you're going to need that going forward. But yeah, I definitely don't think there was any bad moves made last off season at all. I, I think, and you mentioned cop talking about that core muscle surgery. I didn't even know this until Derek Lalone told us how hard it is to recover from that, that core surgery. He said there was a point when he was in Tampa that when Steven Stamkos had it, they didn't think he was going to be able to play. Like they didn't think he was going to be Steven Stamkos anymore. And then it took him like a full season to kind of get to that Steven Stamkos level again. So Andrew Kopp will continue to get better too. And I think he's been good. And David Perron brings what he brings. We know what that is out of him. So yeah, no, I don't think there were any mistakes in bringing players. And obviously you're going to still draft your, you know, your players, but who's to guarantee they're going to be here. You know, you don't, you don't know how long that's going to take. You can't have a team of all prospects. I was surprised Dylan Larkin bounced back from that core surgery as fast as he did yeah. because he came back like guns blazing. And I'm like, this dude just had core surgery. Like that's, that's a, it's a rough surgery to have because those are muscles you use every day. Dylan Larkin's underrated tough. That's another thing. Made in the lab. (laughs) Yeah. He's a clone. (laughs) Uh, The last question we have on the night from constrictor 14 at constrictor 14 on Twitter. And this is going to be a big one on you, Daniel, because you were just there. Which AHL players do you think have the best shot at an extended look with the wings 
at the end of the season. I know we had already mentioned a couple. Yeah, I would say Albert Johansson for sure. And that's really the one that I, I would keep your eyes on mostly. And I, I mean, if you count Elmer, I don't know if you want to count Elmer and coming up in, in that wave of, of players, but he obviously had his time in the NHL and we could see him again at the end of the year. But I really would look at Johansson and hopefully it is him. And I think Edvinson could get a look this year too. He could get a look depending on how the rest of the season goes. But Johansson was, he was pretty impressive to watch. Even though I did see Edvinson's four point game. That was fun too. Was Cross Hanna still injured when you were there? He was, he had just, um, he, he was out. Yes. He had not got the surgery yet, but we did talk to him, which was really fun. Um, and he's, yeah, he's going to be fun to have in the organization too, but obviously he's not going to be playing the rest of the year with a shoulder surgery. So Ryan, is there anyone you want to see come up? I think both were just mentioned Johansson or Edvinson uh, Edvinson. If it, if he does make it up, I don't want to see it for more than nine games. I don't want that ELC year burned off. Like it'd be uh Ooh, here's here's the dangly little guy who commercial where he's hanging the dollar out there for you. You almost had him back. Um, But Johansson, as you mentioned, like there's no risk of burning anything. If it's going to be extended, I think it's going to be more so because there's an injury or guys really just are not performing well, which I'm not going to count out at this point based on how the D is unfortunately structured right now. So either one of those guys, just to see what they can do to maybe help the back end now to see how they can build upon that coming into the off season, because Eisenman made the point that there could be one or two guys, maybe more that could very well be coming from Grand Rapids and on this roster in Detroit next season. So those are two guys, especially to keep an eye on who else. I mean, we'll, we'll see how things play out and what we're, what we're feeling, how we're out, how antsy we are uh, come off season. But, uh, no, I'd like to see one of them just to see what they can kind of bring in terms of spark for offensive capability and defensive for that matter. So what about a guy like Donovan Sabrango? Yeah, he would be fun to see as well because he's also young. He plays with an edge. How that can translate up, I'd be very intrigued by. But I mean, I don't think you can look at anyone on their decor. Like, I'd love to see Evanson. I'd love to see Sabrango. Uh, I know Iserman mentioned Vero, how he's been doing in turn, but I think well, that's going to be a project there. But Johansson, McIsaac is still a guy. I would love to see how he can handle the NHL level because he had so many injuries that took him out of it. And I was always real high on him. So, I mean, anyone on the defense right now at this point that are, is younger, that it'd be fun to see them have an opportunity. Yeah, not that this means that there, there's no way they're coming to the NHL, but Donovan Sabrango and Emil Vero had both spent some time in Toledo this season too. I think Vero was less maybe less games than Sabrangle, but they both spent some time down there. But from what I, I learned while I was there, they both improved immensely since then, and it helped them to be down there to play a little bit more, get more minutes and all of that. Um, but yeah, it would be interesting to see either of them in Detroit as well. But I think right now the two defensemen that would have the best shot are obviously Johansson and Edmondson. Yeah, the other guys that might have a shot are playing in the SHL right now in Wallander and Casper. So yeah. we'll see how that goes as well. Um, but that is the mailbag for tonight. That is the episode for tonight. Daniela, thank you so much. We love when you come on and uh, just bless us with your absolute immense skill. Then there's no one in your ear when you're on here. So this is no. all stuff from your head. That is yeah, coming my out. head, guys. I, so I, now she's just truly showing off. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I feel more comfortable. I should start doing that. Just have her, our graphics stats. That always helps me. Her name's Carly. We're just going to get an audio 
clip from art for the background for you. And we'll just play that. And that way you can hear it and react to it. Right. <laughs> Daniela, what do you have going on and where can people find you? Of course, everything that I ever do is on social media with the Red Wings. Of course, the word on Woodward, some one-on-ones. I'm going to be doing a lot of Tiger stuff this season. There should be an announcement coming this week. That's pretty exciting for me and and personal news uh, going forward with the Tigers this year. So that'll be a lot of fun. But follow me on Twitter for more information at Daniela Bruce underscore. I'm the same on Instagram as well. But everyone I know will tell you I'm way more fun on Twitter. So there we go. Breaking news, Daniela is doubling her workload coming up. That is more than that. Cool. How many baseball games are there in a season? Oh, <laughs> a lot more. Well, 81 home games. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Uh, you can follow Ryan on Twitter at rdryan33. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at sealdog91. You can follow me at Bringing the Wing, but more importantly, at Grindline Pod. We'd give a shout out to the Hockey Podcast Network at Hockey Podnet for hosting us and spreading us around. We also give a shout out to Vintage Detroit, which is the only place you should get your jerseys from and worked on. Uh, if you go to Howie's Hockey Tape and use the promo code Grindline, you will get 10% off your order. If you said same promo code on Bring Hockey Back, you will get 12% off your order. Uh, we are running a jersey giveaway right now. Uh, you can get a Jonathan Berggren jersey if you go to our Twitter page, you uh, retweet and like the post and tag a person. Uh, you get a bonus entry if you drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Uh, we will be giving it away. I think I'm drawing on the 13th for that. Um, but you can also go check us out on YouTube, sub to our channel, turn on notifications, and our merch on redbubble.com by searching the grind line. But that is going to do it for us tonight. Again, Daniela, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's always a blast. But for Ryan and Tyler, I am Greg. You stay classy, Hockey Town.